Hello church. In this video we're going to be taking a look at James chapter 5 and with this uh, video is going to be the last time that we take a look at the book of James together uh, for this class period. So let's go ahead and, and dive on in. Uh, but actually before we get into James chapter 5, I want to remind you kind of what James just talked about right before we get into this. So where we left off was James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. Now, I'm not going to comment too much on this because I commented on it the last time, but it has to do with this one too and it, it follows into it. So we will take a look at it. Verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make profit. Why you do not even know what, your, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And with that, that's, that's how he ended uh, chapter 4. As you look at that, you might uh, think that that's kind of a, an all-too-fitting reminder of who we are as humans and just kind of what it means to be human, that our life is temporary, but what do we rest on? What do we uh, put our faith and put our hope in? And right now, uh, many of you are kind of feeling a little bit of pressure as to what are you putting your faith in? What, uh, what is your hope in? And that hope, of course, and that faith is in Jesus Christ. Let's take a look now uh, at, uh, at James 5. Well, I guess I said that, and we're going to look at one passage right before it. So um, in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, I've told you about James that he oftentimes is basing his statements off of the words of Jesus. Let's face it, not such a bad idea to do that, is it? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, listen to the words of Jesus, verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's the statement that Jesus makes. So as we uh, continue to look at this, uh, let's kind of keep these things in mind because I believe this is largely uh, what James is basing his statements off of. So now we finally get into uh, James 5. James 5 verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And so as you look at these verses, you see this, this warning, this warning that the end is near. Time and time again throughout the New Testament, we see they're repeatedly talking about the last days. Now, we don't know when the last day on earth is going to be. Okay, nobody knows. Uh, even Jesus talked about how uh, that the Son of Man doesn't even know, but only the Father does, and he's the one that's in control of that. So we don't need to worry about that. 
But yet we do continue to see this idea that the early church believed they were living in the last days. Well, if, if they believed it, and that was kind of one of the big things of their faith, shouldn't it be of our faith as well? Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that we need to be going out and, and telling everybody that, oh, well, the, the end is just you know right here upon us. Well, I mean, yeah, it kind of is. And really, it might be closer than what we think. But we don't need to scare people into thinking about that. But just recognize the reality that you are a human being. Your time is limited here on Earth. The end, it will come eventually. Uh, you know, we know how the beginning came and we can read about, you know, how the end is going to be coming too. whenever we look at the Bible. But yet, you know, we don't know exactly where we are in the whole timeline of all of history. But we do know that we are living in the last days. So what are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our resources? See, that's what James is getting at. He's talking about these rich people. And you've probably heard these these statistics and stuff, as well as what, what I have about what it means to be rich. But we here in America, we are rich. We are very blessed of God. But what are we doing with those riches? What are we doing with those blessings? We need to be careful that this description that James is talking about does not describe us as individuals. Um, largely, yes, I think that in many ways this can describe us as a nation. But what about individually? Are we as Christians? living like this? Are we hoarding up our wealth in the last days? You know, are, because what James says, and by the way, that phrase was from verse three. If you look at verse four, though, he talks about how these wages that we have failed to pay people, that is kind of a testimony against us. It's actually crying out against us. And the Lord is, is recognized. The Lord has recognized all of these things. I mean, the Lord always recognizes what we are doing. And some of this language might seem a little extreme. And yes, I understand it is, it, it is pretty strong language. But he's talking about a very important thing. And that is, what are you doing with your resources? What are you doing with what you have been given? You know, he just talked about your life. And he says, look, your life, it's like a mist. So what are you doing with your time? Well, your riches. Well, there are these things that can just destroy with time. You know, they just will be destroyed. They, they would just... Would, will disintegrate with time. So what are you doing with them right now? You have them, you've been given them, but what do you do? And also in verse six, whenever we hear about condemning and murdering these innocent people, you know, we might think that language is kind of extreme, but I'll also, you know, kind of let you think about opening up your eyes and noticing some of the people that even in our world, they are innocent people, but they are condemned. And they are sometimes murdered. I mean, it does still happen today. But definitely, if you go back to the time of James, um, from a history standpoint, uh, it, it seems that this James who wrote the book, you know, the, the brother of Jesus, that he was actually himself put to death, even though he was innocent. So it kind of is almost like in this verse here in James 5, uh, 6, it's almost like he's kind of writing about himself. Now, I mean, he, he probably doesn't really know that. But he did write about himself, the exact circumstance that he was going to be in. And he wasn't opposing people, but yet they had a problem with him and they put him to death, just like they did many of the, uh, the religious leaders of the early church. You know, pretty much all of the 12 apostles, uh, they, they were put to death and they were innocent people. So, you know, James isn't just talking about himself. He's talking about other people, too. 
Well, what else does James tell us? We got to be careful with what we do with the things we've been given. And I believe that's also important right now. Given our current circumstances, what are we doing with the resources that we have? Just a little bit of food for thought, so to speak. Let's keep looking at what else James says. So the next few verses, um, I believe we can look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, whenever he said, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay, so are we standing firm to the end? Listen to what James has to say. James 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here what we see is this call then for what we should be doing, that we should be patient. The example is given as farmers. You know, thankfully, a lot of the, the things that, that Jesus spoke to, like the different um, world that he spoke to about very much about farmers and agriculture during his day. Largely, a lot of those same images speak very well, communicate very well uh, to, this, to this area of the country because we, we see this, we know this. If we ourselves aren't farmers, then we have you know, neighbors and people that we interact with who are farmers, who, who do these things and we see them from their perspective and we recognize the words that James is saying or the words that Jesus is saying. Whenever he compares the Lord's coming and waiting and being patient for the Lord's coming, like a farmer has to wait. Because, you know, there's only so much even today that a farmer can do. Yes, we've got great machinery. Yeah, we've got all types of different tools, different types of fertilizers that we can use to be able to help uh, produce a great crop. However, when all is said and done, a farmer still has to wait for that valuable crop to come up. In many uh, situations, it's like that in the patience that we have to have uh, as we await the Lord's coming. It's not by accident. Verse seven talks about being patient. And then verse eight talks about being patient as well, because the Lord's coming, it is near. We don't know when again, but we do know it is near. And if James could have said that 2000 years ago, uh, we are even nearer today than what he was. So what should we do? How should we behave about that? He tells us in verse nine, don't grumble against one another. You know, this is not a time for us to be fighting. This is a time for us to stand together because the judge, he's standing at the door. He's aware of the things that we do. He's aware of how we treat one another. That's so much more important than kind of making sure that we have all this wealth or, you know, making sure that we have all these plans. That's what James just talked about. Look, don't worry so much about making plans. Yeah, it's nice to make plans and kind of have an idea of what you want to do with your life. However, when all is said and done, you don't know how those plans will carry out. Goods that you have, different possessions, they will come and they will go. And they will wear out. However, what are you doing with them while you have them? This is what, uh, what James is saying. The judge is aware. He is on our side. 
and he is there to help us. Are we accepting that help? Are we following him? Are we using these things that we have been given to bring him glory? We see some other examples, not just kind of the, the general statement of the farmer, but now we start to see these prophets in verse 10. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What prophets does that include? Think about some of those from the Old Testament. Think about the patience that they had to endure because everybody that you read about in the Old Testament, they lived and they died without seeing Jesus Christ come, without seeing this wonderful fulfillment of the law, this wonderful like fulfillment of so many prophecies. They didn't see it because they lived and died before the time of Jesus. But yet they serve as an example of the patience for us. They kept speaking about what the Lord was going to do, even though sometimes they didn't see it in their own lives, or at least they only saw parts of it in their own lives. They kept speaking boldly, and they knew that the Lord was going to do it because the Lord is faithful. However, they didn't always see it, but they were patient and waited for it. That's the same type of thing that we need to be as well. Just like the prophets of old, we need to have that type of patience. Another individual is, is spoken of here, which many times uh, it's, it's mentioned in verse 11, about Job's uh, patience. You know, a lot of times we kind of uh, use that term in connection with Job. Well, right here, the NIV translates it as perseverance. And I think that that thinking about Job's patience, you know, as we look at that, I don't know that that's my first word that comes to my mind, at least, when I think of Job. Now, it might be to you, uh, you know, maybe because you've just so closely connected this passage to it. I don't know. But to me, I don't see as much pace, patience in Job. However, there is a type of patience we most certainly do see in Job, and that is the one that I like how the NIV translated here as, as perseverance. Now, when you think of the example of Job, yes, I can see perseverance. And let's face it, perseverance, it's very close, and it is related to having patience. And this is what we're looking at. With Job, we learn that he, he persevered. He continued on. He didn't understand why those bad things were happening to him, but yet he continued on going through it, even though he himself did not bring uh, the bad things on him that he endured. He didn't bring those on him at all. It wasn't some type of sin in his own life. No, it was like this this test, this cosmic test that, that uh, God had with the, the Satan there and Job. And, and they talked about uh, Job. And Job was used as an example of someone who would persevere. And he did. And he serves as an example for us. This last phrase, let's not forget it, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This was true in the Old Testament, too, just like it is in the New. But if you can say this of the Old Testament, which it was done dozens of times in the Old Testament, that the Lord is full of compassion, he is full of mercy. If that could have been stated in the law of Moses, um, yes, it can most certainly be stated now in the law of Christ. And after we have seen what Christ has done for us, he is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. Look at his son and look at what he did through his son in order to see that compassion, in order to see that mercy that he has given to each and every one of us. Let's continue on. Uh, actually, the next verse here, uh, you can't help but hardly read this next verse uh, when, whenever you, uh, you read from what Jesus said here in Matthew 5, verse 37. Jesus said, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And guess what? James says something almost identical. He's really repeating this, these words of Jesus. In James 5, 12, James says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, 
not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. It's the same type of thing that Jesus was saying, that we need to be people that if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. When we say yes, that means yes. When we say no, that means no. Obviously, you understand as well as I do that there might be occasions whenever you say yes to something and for whatever reason, you just can't follow through with it. That's not really what we're getting at here. What we're getting at is, does your general lifehood, like everything about what you do, your, your general life, if you say yes, are you going to do it? Or if you say no, are you going to stand by that? That's what he's really getting at. He doesn't, uh, he, he's asking us to not be this wishy-washy type of thing. Uh, and people should be able to, to, to know by the words that we say whether or not we are going to, to do those things and whether or not we're going to live up to our own word. I don't know about you, but whenever somebody is trying to convince me that something is so that they're saying, and then they just like go on and on, and maybe even sometimes you hear people say different words about how, oh, well, I, I swear that this is the case. Or they might even say something like, I swear by something that this is the case. And I'm just thinking, you know, the fact that you had to even tell me that you're swearing by something that this is true, it almost always automatically casts a little bit of doubt in my mind because I'm like, why do you even have to say that? I mean, shouldn't your word be truth? But anyways, you know, sometimes we might have these little tendencies and these little phrases and all that. And we come in contact with this uh, several times. We know that our tongue can get us in trouble. James already has covered that in chapter 3 and, and a few other passages too in this, in this book. But he talks about uh, taming of the tongue. Um, and here we need to be people who will, will back up what we say. We'll do what we say. Those are the type of people that, that Christians are to be. Let's continue on in James. The next section is very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 21 verses 21 and 22 when Jesus says Jesus replied truly I tell you if you have faith and do not doubt not only can you do what was done to the fig tree but also you can say to this mountain go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer so in James 5 verses 13 through 18 almost the rest of this chapter here we're going to see about prayer and we're going to see about this combination of faith and prayer. Very important and a very fitting message for our time. James 5 verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So now here in this section, we learn a few things about us, our faith, and the connection that they have with prayer. We also see some interesting statements that I don't know how often we really go to this passage about it. For instance, in verse 13, we literally have here a statement, 
Is anyone among you in trouble? Okay, so what do we do in troubled times? Are you troubled? Well, let them pray. Very good guidance. Very important guidance. Whenever troubles come our way, we need to be people who automatically pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. See, whenever we're happy, it's time to, to praise God, to give him glory for the good that we have. Is there anything good, anything praiseworthy during your days right now that you can sing out a song of praise and maybe make a joyful sound with, with people around you? Your family, of course. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Now, this is very interesting. Anyone among you sick? Okay, so if we're sick, what does the Bible tell us to do? Well, James tells us here to let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, somebody recently said something about this passage that I, I don't know if I ever really noticed this before. Uh, they said that when you are sick, it's actually your responsibility to reach out to the church. You know, sometimes we kind of um, might hear of people who, they might have been sick and are, are kind of uh, a little uh, upset because their their preacher, or, you know, someone from the church didn't come and visit them. And sometimes people don't even know it. You know, I mean, sometimes some of our members, they might be, be sick and I, I don't always even know it. Uh, sometimes I'm not able to go and, and to visit them. But, you know, sometimes I literally just don't even know it till after they're already uh, well and, and back to normal. But this passage, it actually does tell us that if we are sick, then we need to reach out. We need to ask for help. Now, I know that that doesn't always set well with many of us. We don't you know, like to do that, but yet it is our job to call on the elders. Uh, and what are the elders supposed to do? Well, here, once again, we see prayer being mentioned, um, that they are to pray over them, also to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, anointing with oil has several different um, purposes behind it. Uh, one of which is it, it is a medicinal purpose at this time. You know, this was the medicines that they had. You know, today we have all types of uh, of medicines that we take and different drugs and everything. They didn't have those things then. Uh, their medicine was uh, oftentimes from uh, from herbs and different oils as well. And they would sometimes even mix those oils with the herbs. But uh, I'm not going to get into all of that uh, in, in this video. But this does have to do with, with treating these sicknesses. So the elders were actually called on to to pray to God, to ask him uh, to be with this person, but then also to anoint them, uh, to tend to their needs. There might be a little different ways in which we tend to people's needs than always just anointing them with oil today. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that perhaps there are uh, more than one way to interpret this, uh, this verse here uh, and to, to apply it to us today, because there's more than one way in which we can do something like this. However, Personally, I do kind of like this, um, this concept of anointing uh, with oil. We see this anointing oftentimes connected with the Holy Spirit and asking for, for God's presence to come and for God's presence to, to help, and in this case, to heal this person who is sick. We also see from verse 15 about how if we have uh, people who are of faith, who are praying, then that sick person will be made well, that the Lord will raise them up. Notice it's nothing to do with what the elders do. You know, it's, it's not the elder who's going to raise them up. No, no, no. It's, it's the Lord. Even in the book of Acts, when we see people uh, being healed, when we see people being raised from the dead, it's not the Christians that are doing it. It's the Lord doing these things through the Christians. There's also a statement here that if these people have sinned, that they will be forgiven. 
there is an interesting connection, uh, a general connection here with, with people who are sick uh, and sin. Uh, and I think it's it's one thing that uh, it's important to take notice of. Uh, I also think we need to be cautious of saying, well, every time that we're sick, that means that we've sinned. Keep in mind, just a few verses before this, he's already talked about Job. That was back in verse 11. So just two verses before this passage here, in verse 11, he talked about Job. Well, Job had sickness. I mean, he, he had all types of health problems, you know, the boils and stuff. Um, that was just one thing he dealt with. But yet it wasn't any type of sin that led to that. So it's not always like sin is going to produce our sickness. However, if you do have somebody who is sick and it is because of some sin in their life, then this process is crucial. I mean, this is so important to do this in order for forgiveness, in order for healing to take place. In fact, during the time of Jesus, uh, there, there was often not as much of a, of a distinction. You know, today we, we talk about how uh, our physical um, health and then our spiritual health. Uh, in Jesus' time, they, they didn't often have as much of a distinction. Uh, a lot of times they just kind of assumed if your physical health was good, then your spiritual health would be good. Or if your spiritual health is good, your physical health is good. They didn't divide up a human into so many different kind of compartments like we tend to do today. To them, it was it was all encompassing. It was all important that your sin needs to be addressed, your sickness needs to be addressed, and this is how we do it. It's also not by accident that the next verse says that's what our therefore statement is. So all of these things that he's been been leading up to this about being sick, it all comes down to, well, what do we do about it? Well, verse 16 says that, therefore, we should confess our sin to each other and to pray for each other so that we can be healed. And you probably know the second half of that verse. You know, the second half is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You probably know a different version than that. That's what I'm used to as well. But this is the, the second half. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that is so true. That's so important to understand. But we need to also remember the first part of this verse. The first part is we need to confess our sin to one another. We need to be praying for one another. And we need to be asking for healing and actively taking a part in this healing of one another. So this prayer of a righteous person, we get an example of that. Elijah, who was able to do you know, great things. He was able to, to pray and stop the rain. And then he prayed again and it rained. So it just kind of goes to show you about faith the size of a mustard seed moving mountains or removing mountains that Jesus is talking about. Sometimes great things can be done. You know, big things can be done through people of faith who are willing to pray because it's not them that's doing that. It's God. Let's continue. Just a couple more verses. In so as we look at the, the last two verses of James, I want to, to read something from Jesus first. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, the rest of this goes on, and, and he says, Look, if they don't listen to you, then there's some more things to do. However, the goal is to, to approach your brother or sister, to point out that fault just between the two of you, and then if they listen, you've won a brother. One a sister or so. That's the goal. The goal is for us to be together again. The goal is for this healing to take place. That dissipates between relationships. So what does James say that, that deals with this? 
The book of James ends with these two verses. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's how James ends. You know, it's kind of interesting, though, that, that he kind of gets to this point at the end of his book. But this is what he wants them to be reminded of. This is what he really wants them to focus on, is that we should be people who bring back the wandering sinner, you know, the, the one who the wandering Christian, uh, the ones who have gone back out, perhaps, and, you know, into the world, or at least are, are kind of starting to stray that way. Well, if we can bring that person back, then it says that we've not only been able to save them from death, but we also cover over this multitude of sins. All of this sounds so great and such a wonderful picture. And this is what Jesus was trying to get us to do is if your brother or sister sins against you, go to that person, show them their fault and address it. Deal with it and be able to move on and to be able to be strengthened from it. It's not by accident that the church is called a family. And yes, all of our individual families, uh, you know, sometimes there's tension there, but at the end of the day, we are still family. And in many ways, that's kind of how it works with the church as well. That yes, there can be tensions that we might have to, to just kind of push through, uh, come together through different ways of dealing with those. But when it comes down to it, we are all brothers and sisters. We are all the family of God. That's what we're called to. And it's so important for us to stick together and to help out those people who might be in need. And if we're the ones who might be in need, know we could also reach out to other people to, to help us get back to where we need to be and with that we end the book of James I hope that you've enjoyed this uh, this taking a look at, at the book of James and here on the screen right now uh, what I have before you is uh, this uh, I didn't mean to be blocking some of it with my video here but uh, it's the Bible outline of, from the Bible Project, and this is on James uh, and his letter. Uh, many of these things we've kind of taken a look at, and if you want to watch that video just as a kind of overview of what the entire book of James is on, uh, I'd recommend it. Uh, all these books from the Bible Project, they're uh, just a few minutes long a piece. I'll try to uh, put a link within the description of this video here so that that way you can uh, click on that and go back to this and, and listen to this if you would like to. Uh, but that's a wonderful video that's put out by the Bible Project that helps us keep in mind what the entire book of James is about. Because in this video, we only, we only looked at one chapter. This looks at the whole, uh, the whole book. Uh, also, I do want to uh, make an announcement at the end of this video here. So now, announcements. Basically, I really kind of only have one that I'm going to share with you on here. And that is that we are once again going to be doing uh, a drive-in church service. Uh, it went well last week. Here's some pictures uh, from that, uh, or it went well a few days ago, I guess, uh, last Sunday. Um, there's a picture of that and kind of how we will park. You see some people as they were coming in. Um, if you can kind of back in on the side over here of the, the church building, um, that's where we, we set up uh, along those steps. That's where we set up kind of the uh, the stage area and with the pulpit, and, and we had uh, speakers and all out there. Um, but this Sunday, we're actually going to be having Don Smythe come because this is the time that he was uh, normally going to be coming in. And I 
I contacted him, just kind of asked him, you know, hey, do you do you want to come to this drive-in uh, church service? And he said, that sounds pretty good. So, uh, yeah, plan on that, and let's make sure that we come out here. And keep in mind um, that if you do choose to come, that we do still need to uh, stay in our vehicles, uh, keep this social distancing uh, during this time. Um, and uh, I, I hope that you all uh, do enjoy this because I, I know that I was very pleasantly surprised at how, uh, at how close we could be, but yet still keep that distance. You know, we could still see one another. And it was nice to have that, that worship experience together. Um, and have as close as what we can do to, to having a regular church service at this time. Uh, this will just be a temporary arrangement, but uh, it, it seems like we will continue to be able to meet like this um, throughout the upcoming weeks or, or however long it takes for us to get things back to normal. Um, I will also be putting up a, a video online. Uh, I hope this doesn't make sense, make uh, too much confusion to you. Yeah, I hope it doesn't make sense. That's what I almost said. Um, Here's how I plan on doing it on Sunday. If you're going to be only doing it online, then I'm going to be putting up a video that you can watch in the morning. And then I'm going to be recording Don Smythe for our uh, drive-in church service. And then I'm going to put his sermon that you can listen to at the evening. Now, if you're coming in person to the drive-in church service, then this is how it will go. You come to the drive-in service and you'll hear Don Smythe in the morning. And then in the evening, you can watch the video that I posted uh, earlier in the morning. So that way you kind of uh, have each of us one of these times uh, throughout your day. So you're, you're welcome to do whatever combination of that that, uh, that, you, would, uh, that you would like. Uh, I probably will not be able to get a video of him up, um, but I will be able to get audio. Uh, so hopefully that will, uh, that will be, be well for you all. Uh, thank you very much for watching this video. And... Uh, continue to be in prayer at this time. Thank you.